are listening to Beyond the Whistle. Beyond the Whistle is the show that takes you beyond the X's and O's to provide tips and advice on the business of sports and how sports professionals can advance in their careers. Beyond the Whistle is brought to you by McCant Sports, a sports executive search and sports leadership consulting firm. Learn more at McCantSports.com. Welcome to Beyond the Whistle. I'm your host, Odell McCants, and thank you for listening. My guest today is Dan Tudor of Tudor Collegiate Strategies. Tudor Collegiate Strategies provides the total recruiting solution, a recruiting management service that helps coaches be more creative, effective, and get better results from your recruiting efforts. Tudor Collegiate Strategies also offers Tudor University, an online education and training platform for coaches focused on developing recruiting skills, and the annual National Collegiate Recruiting Conference, with its 10th annual conference held this past June 2017 in Durham, North Carolina, on the campus of Duke University. It's a three-day event full of great speakers on topics such as effective communication, organizational leadership, team and organizational effectiveness, and so much more. And Dan is also the host of the College Recruiting Weekly podcast, a show full of tips and advice on effective recruiting. You can find links to all these in the show notes. Dan, welcome to Beyond the Whistle. Odell, thank you for having me on. That was a great introduction. I appreciate it. Great. Dan, when I first found you, what caught my attention was your selling for coaches and professional sales training approach to athletic recruiting. Personally, my my professional career prior to working in sports and even now has been in corporate sales and business development. So I, I really value and appreciate your professional selling approach to athletic recruiting. What led you to applying a professional sales approach to recruiting? I get asked frequently, you know, how did this start or how did you get into this particular type of business uh, I'll try to reduce the four-hour story into maybe uh, a, a minute and a half for you. My background is in television broadcasting. I was a sportscaster right out of college for an ABC affiliate station in California. And loved doing that. That's what I went to school for and thought that that was going to be my future. And then you realize, wow, okay, staying up until after midnight, not getting paid very much to do it, is great when you're coming out of college, uh, being on TV, talking about sports right out of college. A lot of fun. And when you start to think about a family and wanting to actually live uh, live a somewhat normal life, it, you, reality sets in. So I transitioned from that into the, the business world with a large national company involved in sales and then moved up to management and training. And anytime you're with a large national organization, and you know this, you go through a lot of training. And so I went through months and months of sales training and communication training and marketing training. And all the while, I was an athlete in high school, could have played tennis in college and chose not to to, to focus on the, the broadcasting. But when I kept my hand in athletics, uh, I was a football coach at the high school level for, gosh, 10, 12, 13 years. And you know, throughout that time, I was fascinated with the recruiting process and actually ran a national recruiting service back in the, the mid to late 90s that was helped a lot of kids and families. It was pre-internet, so it was a lot different than the way that coaches access athlete information now. But it was through that process that it kind of came full circle. And I I realized that college coaches had never been trained how to sell and communicate to their prospects because I kept getting families, parents, and athletes sending me or showing us, showing our company what they were getting from coaches and saying, hey, are they interested? I'm not really sure how to respond. They didn't really 
it's a lot of information, but I'm not sure what to do with it. And it just hit me, wow, these coaches have never really been trained to sell and communicate. And because most of them were good athletes, and then they stayed on campus and they were grad assistants, and then became an assistant coach, and somebody handed them their list and said, okay, here's, here's your list of kids, or here's your area. You know, we need, you know, four guards for this class. Go, go get them. And at that point, what we all usually do is we revert back to what we know or how we experience something. And so really, as I started studying it for the last 30 years, aside from a few exceptional cases, college recruiting and coaching had really been done the same way for decades. And yet, as you and I know, this generation uh, over the last 10 years has just drastically changed in the way that they take in and relate to communication. And so that was really the start of it. I didn't really know what it was going to become. I knew there was the need. And so we just, we just started giving the information and training coaches. And it has evolved over the last 13 years into to quite an endeavor and, and uh, keeps myself and our staff very busy throughout the year. What are some of the fundamentals or skills of selling when applied to recruiting you see coaches lacking? You know, the basic is, I think they approach it way too professionally. And what I mean by that is that most coaches in all different sports are really smart. I mean, they're, a lot of them, most of them have their master's degrees. They have been well-educated and well-trained. And they bring that education and training into the way that they communicate with teenagers and their sometimes uh, crazy and realistic parents. And that's the problem. They are approaching communication from an adult world and you know, very well-worded messaging, very well-constructed letters and emails, all in, in the ways that we were taught how to construct a, an email. You have your introductory paragraph and your two or three or four main points, and you wrap it up with a summary. That's how we all learned it in school. Well, guess what? That's not the way that kids communicate. So they get that, and it doesn't sound real. It doesn't sound authentic. And it doesn't sound like the coach is really interested in them. It sounds like a mass email so again, I think the number one thing that we work on and we try to get coaches to understand, whether it's a, a BCS level division one coach or a tiny little NAIA school with a coach that's 22 years old and this is his or her first experience in recruiting, whatever that coach is bringing into the process is usually from a misguided adult perspective. And, and so there's this lack of connection with the athletes that they're trying to get. And the second thing I would say as far as a, a major hurdle that we have to have coaches overcome is understanding and, and getting to the point where they're ready to change and they're ready to do it differently. Because, I mean, I could lay out all the research and all the stats and, and examples and even focus group studies from their school or from their team that are basically telling coaches, hey, you need to change. Here's what you have to do differently. Here's really what we're looking for in, in how coaches should communicate with us. And Odell, you would not believe the number of coaches that I have fight me on it. And I think it's just because changing is hard, number one. None of us like to change. But I think also none of us like to admit or think like, wow, I've been doing it wrong all these years. And many times that's that's the case. And so that's kind of the, the beginning point of our training and what we focus on with coaches. And do you work with them at all on the process? I believe I was given a definition by a sales manager, a mentor of mine once that the definition of sales is guiding someone through the process of making a decision that is in their best interest. And from a corporate sales 
career. That's what I live by. It keeps me grounded in understanding that when I put their best interests first, I'm putting them first. But I have to believe that my school or my product or service is the best. But also it's guiding them through the process. Parent or an athlete, well, for the athlete, it'll be their first time and only time going through the recruiting process. For a parent, it may be their first and only time as well. Um, how important is it for coaches to understand that part of guiding someone through the process? You bring up an excellent point, and, and here's what I hear sort of related to the point you're bringing up, is when we're starting to talk about a sales message or selling an athlete on the school, the immediate reaction I often get is, well, I don't want to be a salesperson. I don't, because most of their experiences with salespeople is, you know, they, or they have the stereotypical view of a salesperson selling a used car or door-to-door salesman or some, or a telemarketer. That's really maybe their, their perception or even direct experience in sales. And yet you and I, coming from the business world or being more associated with a corporate culture, we realize exactly what you just said. This isn't about convincing or tricking or forcing somebody into a decision. This is about guiding them into a decision. And you know what? That decision could be no. That decision could be this is not the right thing for you. And if that's the case, then you know that, that's part of the process. But I think coaches have this somewhat misguided view that that this is really all about tricking them or forcing them and nothing could be further from the truth of course but that's i think the misconception that i agree completely with you that if you're a good professional ethical salesperson what you really do is guiding them into a decision and hopefully of course that's to go with your school your your team your program but if not, then you know one thing we want to try to have our coaches do is make sure they they find out if it's going to be a no. I'd rather find that out you know months in advance versus never asking or never doing the right things to assess that. And you know you've heard the horror stories that I have of coaches you know assuming that the kid is interested or hoping that they are, and it goes down to the wire late in the year, and finally the kid works up the guts to say, "Hey, coach, you know what? I actually committed to this other school a month and a half ago." And now that coach has to scramble to find somebody else to fill the roster with. And that's what we don't want. Yeah. And that's not being in control of that process. Right. Yeah. And then you're, you turn around and you're chasing an answer. The way that you term that is interesting because I'll, I'll use the same term. I was just doing a workshop yesterday at a very elite Division three school, highly ranked academically, and you know where they turn away more kids than they... Than they get, and and I brought up the idea that you as coaches have to go through and control the process. And a hand went up, and and they immediately said, "Well, I don't want to force a kid. I if I'm controlling it, that means I'm taking over, and this is their decision. Absolutely, that's their decision. But you know, when you have a sales process, that means there's a buyer and a seller, and somebody, one of those two parties, has to control the process. And it's either going to be you as the coach or you're going to hand it over to the parents and the kids. And look, if letting the parents and the kids control the process and set the timelines and they get back to you, and they, if that's working for you, then by all <laughs> means, keep doing it. But otherwise, it needs to be you as the coach. You know, again, it goes back to then how you professionally, ethically guide them to a decision, but you're guiding them through the process. You're the one that is in control. So that's a great way that you turned it because I use the same terminology that somebody has to control it. And too often we find college coaches 
basically giving up that control to parents who, like you just mentioned, Odell, it's the first time they're going through it. And you know what? They're only going to go through it for a couple of months or at the most a couple of years, and then they're done and they don't get to do it again. So they're learning on the fly. They're making mistakes. They're focusing on the wrong things. And if they don't have a coach that knows how to guide them, you know, usually bad things are going to happen. Yeah, and that's what I found uh, in my experience in the agent business as well. Although it's <laughs> it's wild, wild west mm-hmm. in that business, yeah, as so, we yeah, know. But without understanding that process, you know, we we hear so often, oh, players or parents are listening to the wrong people. But when there is no process in place, that's when those outside influencers who sometimes have their own agendas and don't have a best interest of a player or family at heart, that's when they do really seep because they're going to have a process and it's going to end up being theirs. Right. And certainly when you get into the world of agents and more on the professional side, those outside influences are are certainly there. And of course, the way that we see that for a prep athlete moving on to the college level, it's the club coach who is trying to get the kid to the best school, the, the, the best name school possible so that it looks good for his or her club program so that the next round of kids sign up for their you know their club program and or the parent that really again doesn't unfortunately have maybe the best interest at heart for their son or their daughter and they're really just interested in what's the the biggest name t-shirt or sweatshirt that I'm going to get to wear uh, as the dad back you know back around town so that everybody is impressed with me or that it I feel like it's justified all the money I spent going to those clubs and camps and trying the private training and so absolutely, you have those outside influences that are there and they're present. And you know, again, you're, if you can't guide them or you choose not to guide them as the coach, you're giving up control of that, not only to the parents and the, the athlete who don't know what they're doing, but then you add in sometimes outside influences that have their own interests at heart. Dan, you mentioned you were working this week with uh, a highly selective college, and I know you work with colleges, universities, athletic departments on all levels. Are there fundamentals to this process that are different at a D1, D2, or D3 NAIA level? I'll largely say no, and which is something that, again, most coaches who have never studied this process find surprising. I think the way that a Division three softball player coming out of a, a small you know, town in Oklahoma, she's going to make her decision virtually the same way that a top 20 college football prospect out of Florida is going to make his decision. Now, they're going to have different influences, certainly, and they're going to have maybe a, a different, um, different things being thrown at them, but the process they use, and more importantly, the way they want to be communicated during the recruiting process is almost exactly the same. So I could show you data and focus group research that we did uh, a couple of weeks ago with one of our Division I uh, football clients, uh, where we went and we worked with their incoming freshmen to basically restructure their campus visit experience and, and make sure it was more in line with what those freshmen thought should be done. I could show you the results from, from their focus group survey, and I would match it up and put it alongside a Division three, you know softball team or volleyball team, and if I took any you know, gender or sport reference out, you would not be able to tell which one was which. And that surprises coaches because I think there's this perception that, oh, well, you know, Division One football, Division One men's basketball, it is so different. And 
the, the guys in those sports, they make their decisions solely on who's going to give them the most stuff or who has the newest arena or the best locker room or the newest stadium. Now, I've got no dog in this fight. If that was, we would report those findings and I'd be talking to athletic directors about, look, you need to invest more in your in your stadium because I have the, the, the data here that shows recruiting comes down to that. I just don't have it. I don't see it. It's never mentioned. So when you have a top 20 football prospect rated by the scouting services as, you know, can't miss, five-star, whatever they have it, him rated, he's going to go and choose his top six schools. Well, you know what? They've all got great facilities. They've all got new locker rooms. They all have the stuff. And so then what does it come down to? It comes down to the same things that it does for a Division three softball player. You know, do I like the team? Does the coach seem to like me? How did I feel on campus? Was I liked? Is it going to be fun there? And all the things, they go back to, you know, how they make a decision as a kid. And I think that's really important for a coach to understand. And I mean, certainly the clients that we work with understand it because we inundate them with all the stats and facts and figures. And, and we have their kids basically tell them, here's how I want to do it, coach. For the ones that are sort of flying blind, I really want them to understand that if you want to be successful, it has to come down to more than just the stuff. The coaches that are relying on that new stadium that's finally going to get refurbished or finally they're redoing our locker room, and if you're thinking that that is what's going to get better athletes there, I got news for you. It's not. Now, it might take away an objection. Be, you know, you might say, well, I, I didn't go there because of they had you know, just a, a horrible old 50-year-old locker room. Well, when you redo the locker room, it removes that objection, but it does not cause them to come to the school. They don't make their decision based on that. It's going to come back down to the things that I just mentioned. Communication clearly is a big part. It's the driving force of this whole process. How have you seen that change over over the years to this current, I guess, are they millennials? I've kind of lost yeah. track of what the of what, well, the, yeah, what the, the segments are. I think we're still in the millennial generation. And yeah, I think you know when we, we we've been doing this actively working with coaches for about thirteen years. Prior to that, like I mentioned, I was involved in running a recruiting service, and so I saw it from the other end. I saw what the coaches were sending to the athletes more. You know, you, you've gone or just if you narrowed it down to the last twenty years, you've gone from letters and phone calls. You know, and then it transitioned, you know, email happened. And so I'm old enough to remember trying to convince coaches to use email. I can remember coaches telling me I'm never going to use email. It's the, you know, I'm not into that internet stuff. Well, of course, now every coach uses email. And then social media came along. And I remember coaches saying, it'll be a cold day in hell before I ever get on Twitter. And I don't know what Twitter is. And they sort of made fun of it. Well, of course, they've come around too. And I think to answer your question, of course, out every five years, there are these major shifts in the way kids communicate. I think one of the biggest misconceptions that I would talk about with coaches is the idea that the only way or the best way to communicate with kids is by social media. And I think that the misconception is there because what are kids always doing? They're on their phones looking at social media, Instagram, Twitter, not so much Facebook anymore. That's more the adult, the parent place to be. And Snapchat is another one. So... If they assume that, well, they're on social media, so I need to be on social media too, and I need to communicate with them through social media. Well, if you're saying, hey, great job this weekend, can't wait to talk to you next week for a few minutes, that's absolutely appropriate. Text them that, you can use social media for that. But in our studies, and we did a huge social media study for our clients 
about three years ago on how athletes were using social media to make their final decision. And what, or it just in, in, through the recruiting process, and what we found was that they use social media on their time when they're ready. They want to go in and look and see who you are as a coach, what your personality is, and what it would be like to play for you, and also the personality of the team and what it's like to play at the school and go to school there. So that's not selling your program through social media. That's them going to look at you through social media. And there's a very clear distinction. So my advice to coaches would be that they need to focus on social media that will position and showcase who they are behind the scenes to an athlete, not selling through social media. So I would, ne- I would never want a coach, I would never advise a coach to use social media or a direct message or or a text message to say, hey, I want to tell you about our business program here. You know, it was rated number five in blah, blah, blah. And you start going through all the stats and, and basically trying to sell them. It's a completely inappropriate medium for that. And they will reject you. I mean, it really is, they're, they're really sensitive to that because that's their world. So that would be, again, one thing that I would that I would advise coaches to avoid. It's interesting, you know, one of the most effective tools now that we see to reach out and to make an impact with the recruit is a letter, believe it or not. Because 20 years ago, as I mentioned at the start of this uh, answer to the question, you know, 20 years ago, it was all letters and phone calls. That's really how you communicated because that's really all there was. And then letters started to become sort of in the background because you had all these this you know, electronic stuff happening. Well, it's come full circle. Everybody stopped doing letters so that now when a coach sends a letter, it really makes an impact, and as I explained to coaches, the reason for that is that these kids, if you think about it, if you're a coach that sends a recruiting letter to a junior in high school, that could be the first time they themselves have ever received a piece of mail that's been addressed to them. You know, you ask most co- most kids today, even college kids, go ask you know a coach that's listening to this. You want to you know see how foreign it is to them and what a mystery it is. Ask them to write a letter to somebody get an envelope and mail it. They have no idea how to do it. Most of them don't know how to mail a letter. And so when they get one, it's like this mysterious thing that has appeared to them and they don't know how or why or how it all works. And it really makes an impact. It's special. Whereas social media, I think, think about how many messages you and I as an adult go through when it comes to social media, you know, that we're reading, deleting, moving on. I mean, do you remember any of the media, social media messaging or things that you saw on social media just yesterday? I don't. <laughs> and I, I know I looked at a lot of them. It's what I want to try to get through to coaches is social media is great when you want to let them go and experience the school there, but don't use it to communicate or to sell your program because they're not going to remember it. And it's not the appropriate venue Email is still the best way. Kids say that email is the best way to communicate with them because they sort of reserve it for the recruiting process. No, they don't use it regularly. They don't check it daily. More of them, know this year uh, are have it tied to their phone, so it, it sort of works and acts like a text message. But they view that as the right way to go through recruiting because it's separate. It's separate from their life. They can go to it and, and interact with it when they want. That with letters, I think, are, are really effective. And, and I'm, I'm having to drag a lot of coaches back to that line of thinking and helping them understand what kids want. 
Recently, I got the, an old-fashioned handwritten thank you note from someone, and it still goes a long way. Yeah, you know, most people don't throw that away. You, you put it up on your shelf or a bullet board or something, and to that end, we don't find that kids throw their letters away. They'll, they'll delete emails, and they will delete a lot of social media, and they'll go through text messaging, and that'll get lost in the shuffle. That's why a letter is special. And so within the last two years or so, the last 24 to 30 months, we've really noticed an increase in the positive feedback that we get when our clients send out a letter. They may not be happy with me talking about it with anybody that is listening to you because I, you know, it's, it's one of the ways that they have stood out. But I mean, I really advise coaches to rethink, you know, you need a personal sounding recruiting letter and it's really an effective way to make a point. They will read it. And how have you seen communicating with parents change? I think the biggest change is that parents, like it or not, good or bad, they are really a strong influencer in the process. We do these recruiting big national focus groups with actively recruited athletes. And the, the most recent one that we have said that, and from the athletes were, were telling us this, that about 91% of the time their parents were the key or a very important key influencer in their final decision as to where they were going to go. And so if you have the athletes you're recruiting say that 91% of the time, my mom, my dad, I'm going to listen to what they say and their opinion, and that's the opinion I'm going to follow 91% of the time, they're a huge influencer. And so you know, what we try to do for coaches is develop a separate line of communication to recruit the parents. Now, just in throwing that term out there, you know, if a coach is listening, I know that they're bristling at that because, number one, they don't even have time to recruit the kids, a lot of them feel. And, and secondly, I think the general attitude of coaches is, I don't want to recruit the parents. I'm, I want to recruit the kids. You know, the parents are the, you know, the problem. They're the ones that, that are they're in too much control of the process. Well, I mean, you and I and a coach might agree with that, Odell, but the athletes are looking to their parents for guidance. And what I explain to coaches is that not only do they want parents to be involved with the process, they expect their parents to be involved with the process. And so when you don't involve them, I could show you stacks of focus group feedback that would tell, basically describing that process when a coach did that. And the kids say, you know, it was really weird. They never even tried to contact my dad or, you know, tell the coaches, like when we visit a campus, you need to go spend some time with my parents. I don't you know, they've got questions and they're not the questions that I have, but you need to talk to them about the adult stuff. And that's, yeah, I think that's the biggest change is that parents have become such an influence. And it wasn't like it was back for me when I was in high school in the mid 80s, the mid 1980s. You know, I didn't really want my parents a part of the process and they weren't really absorbed in that. But this generation absolutely wants their parents involved and expects their parents to be involved. And the parents expect themselves to be involved. And I think that kind of goes to the club culture that we have so many club coaches and personal coaches and everything starts so early now. Well, because it's starting so early, who's driving kids to the practices? Mom and dad. Who's paying for the club? Mom and dad. Who's paying mm -hmm. for the additional training? Mom and dad. Who's helping to pack up and do the fundraising after the, after the tournaments? Mom and dad. And so it's almost a little bit foreign of an idea when we as college coaches come in and say, hey, mom and dad, we don't want you in the process anymore. It's weird for the kid and it's odd and somewhat offensive to the parents. So I think that's the biggest change we've seen in how parents interact with the process. 
And, you know, conversely, Dan, I had a coach tell me recently that evaluating the parents is a part of their overall evaluation process. I mean, they run a, they take pride in running a close family right. environment, culture in their program. And, and part of their evaluation is, are these parents that we want involved in our program for the next four, maybe in five years? You are starting to see some coaches come around and learn, you know, I think they're observing and looking at the way parents are influencing. And I think at some point you just have to say, okay, then we got to make them part of the process and like it or not. And, and I explained to coaches that you can have them involved in the recruiting process, but then have a conversation with them to say, Hey, great. Your son's coming here to play. We're really excited. So now let me tell you about this next phase. Now you're the parent of one of our, of our athletes on our team. Here's how we want you to basically, you know, act. Here's your role in the process and explain the rules. I, I just find there's so much, that comes back to the lack of communication that coaches give either parents or an athlete or a club coach. That's the source of the problem. And I hate to lay so much at the feet of the college coaches, but you know, we, we said earlier, you're in control, coach, or you should be in control of the process. So control it. <laughs> Communicate. Set your standards. Set a fair but firm deadline. Explain to parents what you need them to do before, during, and after the recruiting process. And if you're doing that, and which it sounds like the coach you were talking to has, then things are going to be good. If you don't, then it's really going to be tough and, and you're probably going to be frustrated with recruiting. Dan, there's so much I know we can talk about. And I'm really passionate about professional sales and sales training. And I again, I love your application of this to college recruiting, but I want to be respectful of your time as well. Dan, I know you just finished your 10th conference, 10th annual conference a few months ago in June. Can you share with us uh, what the conference is like, who attends, who some of your speakers are? I started 10 years ago with about 15 or 20 coaches that just wanted to get together and talk over a weekend about recruiting. And you know, I find like in, in our business and what we do, you have some really smart, passionate coaches who, who basically have figured out if I'm a good recruiter, I'm going to be a great coach because I'll be coaching great athletes and I want to coach great athletes as opposed to mediocre ones. And so you have these, I describe it as the coaches who get it. We usually try to limit it to about 100 coaches and uh, we have it all different different parts of the country. The 2017 edition was in at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. So it's basically a a Friday, Saturday, Sunday where we bring in over that course of time 20 or 25 speakers. It's not all me. In fact, I I usually speak only once or twice. But it's really a forum for coaches to get up and basically contribute their time and say, "Here's how I did it." We have outside experts that would normally be talking to business people and on the corporate side, and they use their expertise to apply that to what the coaches might be needing. Um, so we had nationally and, and internationally based companies in the U.S. around the world. We had somebody that that teaches them how to create their corporate story and brand. And so, you know, he came in, and we actually then followed up with an interview with him on our podcast, Joe Collins. You talk about extremely helpful for coaches. No one has ever, from the corporate world, stand with them and hear them talk about how to create a brand and how to tell your story. And that's the essential way that you start selling the school. And, you know, we have former coaches. I mean, just to go back, we've had one year had um, Ari Fleischer, the former press secretary for President Bush, come in and talk about handling the media and how to 
how to construct your your story for the media and everybody from that level to really good coaches to you know some of our best speakers have been coaches that you know, you would never have heard of before but just they've figured out ways to recruit effectively and for them to come in and share it is extremely valuable you know so it's just a time where a bunch of recruiting nerds get together and share ideas and the really cool part for me is that to walk out after so it's an you know hour after and we're closing up the the room that we've been in the big hall and you go and you still see coaches sitting around gathered together and they're sharing ideas and i know there's coaches that have continued to talk to each other for years you know, they got to know each other at a past conference. And they still lean on each other and use that for ideas. So it's really just, it's a bunch of smart people getting together and talking about something that's very important in their careers. And it's a lot of work. And it's sort of the way we give back to coaches because hopefully it's a break-even event for us every year. Sometimes it's not, but, but still it's a way to give back and sort of invest in the community that we're in. So, Dan, I know I mentioned in the intro some of the many things you're, you're doing, but where can people find more information about you, the conference, and your services and connect with you as well? Well, there's a lot. I mean, we obviously have clients that pay us to work with us, but there is probably more that we give away for free than we charge for on our website, which is dantutor, D-A-N-T-U-D-O-R.com. So there's 13 years worth of articles and research and white papers that you can download to use, you know, however you want it. You can break things down by topic, uh, do searches for keywords that, that you might, uh, that you might need. There's videos. I mean, there's, we try to make it a recruiter's library that's easy to access. And that's the best way to, to get a hold of us. Anybody that's listening to this can, can contact me. My email is dan at dantutor.com. Uh, happy to answer questions. Would love to come to the campus. And, you know, again, if you need help. We can certainly work with you on a one-on-one basis if it's the right fit. Um, And I I say that because we take a very methodical approach. So we actually interview potential clients to make sure they're going to follow and it is the right fit. And if it is, good things happen. And there's, there's certainly more than one way to recruit effectively. We think we have a very, very good way that uses as much science as possible. That's kind of what we put out to coaches. Great. And there'll be links to all that information in the show notes as well. Awesome. Great. Dan, thank you very much for your time and being a part of Beyond the Whistle. Thanks, Odell. I would love to come back and keep talking about it because there's, <laughs> there's a lot that I would love to talk about too that we didn't get to. So anytime you want me back, I'd love to do it. Oh, thank you very much. We'll definitely take you up on that offer. Awesome. Thanks, Odell. Dan, thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dan. Recruiting is the lifeblood of your program. Recruiting is selling and there's nothing wrong or negative with that. You are selling your program, your athletic department, your school, and yes, even you. The key is having a process to getting your prospects to a yes or no. Success comes in controlling that process. As Dan mentioned, it doesn't mean being manipulative, tricking, or being dishonest. It means guiding your recruits through the process. Lead them. Dan is amazing in how he has developed a professional selling approach for college recruiting. And there's so much more to discuss with him, so much that we're going to make this episode part one of at least a two-part series. You can learn more about Dan and his services on his website, dantutor.com. He's also a great follow on Twitter, at dantutor. There are links to both in the show notes. To stay updated on future episodes of Beyond the Whistle, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can also learn more about McCant Sports on our website, mccantsports.com. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Whistle.